What I've realized that strength comes from is being true to who you are. And, and right now, there's so many options of things to be in this world. When, if you could access who you truly are and, and be confident in that and express it. And I think so many people are lost because they're trying on new outfits every day of what is the latest thing to be. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome to episode 52. As always, your host, Steve Opolinik, for this episode of Break the Chains, Find Your Flame. Our guest today is Caroline Collins. She's a science educator, a two-time world-ranked Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor, and a health and wellness leader. Caroline and I sit down and talk about a bunch of different things. Uh, mindset, nutrition, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, just to name a few and her own struggles and trials and tribulations that she had to work through to get to where she is today. She's very open and honest in this episode. She shares her path and her journey from smoking a ton of cigarettes and being the last to show up to a class and the first to leave, going from this stage of life to being an athlete that trained six, seven, eight hours a day and applying that mindset towards business opportunities and working with some top-end clients in nutrition programming. We have an open dialogue about how this came to be and, and some of the models she lives by to live her life. Now, I do want to say before you listen to the episode that we do talk about domestic violence. So here is a trigger warning in case anyone's listening who's had past trauma or, or experienced similar things and may not be ready to, to have those topics uh, listened to or talked about. So take a pause and don't listen to this podcast if, if you may find that triggering. But I do want to say that Caroline's approach to that topic and her openness about that topic is very honest and her mindset of how she's healed and moved forward is very refreshing and needed. So if you're not triggered, Definitely take a listen and pay attention to some of the gems of wisdom she shares. Without further ado, here's Caroline Collins. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Welcome to the podcast. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Steve. So we're really excited to have you on. I found out about you on Instagram from 
my good friend Ellie, and I love seeing the videos of of you working with Ellie and and just how badass she is. So it's it's good. I haven't seen them in a while, so it's it keeps me in touch with them. You know. Yeah, that's the positive part of Instagram is the ability, <laughs> right. yeah, to connect with uh, what we're up to, what we choose to show, what we're up to. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's a whole other part that we can get into later, which I think is really important because we only see half of the true story of things. But I like how you're so authentic with what you put on and the content that you provide. Uh, but before Thank we get you. too deep into that, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the listener so they know what we're talking about? Because we could wax on poetically, I think, just on Instagram and the content. But people listening have no idea what we're talking about. So why don't you introduce yourself, talk about your passions, what you do and, you know, where where it came from? OK, uh, so my name is Caroline Collins. Um, I just moved back to Massachusetts after living in Los Angeles for seven years. Um, so a big part of what drove me to Los Angeles and made me stay there was my passion for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu has been a huge part of my life the last uh, 11 years. And uh, within that, like, I'm going to go deeper into my passions too, but I think it's important to talk about what brought me to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and what is driving my purpose now in the work I do is uh, I was physically attacked and beaten up by um, a, an ex-boyfriend when I was out of college. Mm -hmm. And being a woman who at the time, I was very small framed. Um, I had no knowledge of how to use my body, how to protect myself or physically defend um, an attacker. So being in a position where I thought I might die uh, because he was violent and I had no defense. And the only defense I did have at the time was um, I, I, I've been working with homeless people for a very long time. It's been a big part of my life as well. And in the training for homeless people, we learned because you're working one-on-one -on -one with them and they do have, you know, you're dealing with whoever's coming off the street is if they do get violent, you have to remain very calm because you don't right. want to excite them. So when I was getting beaten up alone in a house, you know, he woke me up from my sleep, which is the most vulnerable place to attack someone. Um, all I could do was just accept the beating because I had to remain calm. Mm -hmm. And from that situation, I realized I just spent my whole life studying academics and I had no idea of how to use my body. So I wanted to uh, study a martial art to just know how to use my body and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu found me. And from there, it was uh, a slow growth into it because I was very unhealthy at the time. I was not making good decisions in my life. So I had to really cleanse myself of a lot of, uh, bad choices that built up over the years. And then um, I started studying it. And then uh, I got a, my master's degree in Massachusetts for science education. And after that, I went out to Los Angeles because the best jujitsu in the world is in California. And then from there, I ended up, uh, I was very successful in the science educator career. Um, I was the department chair in the LA school district, um, but I chose to leave that job 
to pursue my passion in jujitsu and train and compete full-time. Um, I went around the world. I have two world rankings in jujitsu. I trained with the best in the world in LA. Um, just, I submitted myself to the art. And at the same time, I needed money because I have college debt and have all my bills. So I started a business to sponsor myself. And that was five years ago. And since then I've started three businesses. I haven't received a paycheck in five years because just I've been an entrepreneur. And mm. then, um, you know, from COVID to kind of succinct this all, I came back to Massachusetts because uh, I lost two of my businesses from COVID. And this past year, it's been constantly restarting, accepting failures over and over again and just regrowing and rebooting and giving yourself the same energy every day that you gave yourself in the beginning. And, um, but I also want to say within my businesses, the, the big passions I have, not just Brazilian jiu-jitsu is health and fitness because I've came from a place where I was unhealthy and I saw what those unhealthy choices got me. Um, I have seen myself in unhealthy habits grow to where I'm at now, where my life has to be. It's so the small habits every day that I focus on to, to grow as the human. So as I connect with uh, clients and can, you know, grow my businesses, it's a very authentic thing because I'm not promoting a trend or, you know, the new latest uh, fad that's happening. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. So well, thank you so so much for sharing all that. I mean, it, the vulnerability kind of shines through, but I think that's where growth really comes from. And and you know, I I appreciate your honesty and openness of what brought you into where you're at now, and and really is, is guiding that premise. And I agree with you. I think there's so much unsustainable fads out there when you talk about mental and physical health and wellness, and it's just the flavor of the week kind of feeling. And for you it's more, this is your life. This is your, like the track that you have chosen in your life and, and what you put out there is not just gimmicky to get likes or to get followers or anything of that, but you're actually living your truth. Whereas before it seems like you were hiding from your truth. From what yeah, you're exactly. yeah. It's, it's very, um, what I've realized that strength comes from is being true to who you are. And, and right now, there's so many options of things to be in this world. When, if you could access who you truly are and, and be confident in that and express it. And I think so many people are lost because they're trying on new outfits every day of what is the latest thing to be. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, I actually wasn't um, on social media until I started my first business and it's been interesting to witness it because I feel like a lot of people are just copying other versions of people. And it's, you know, we're human. So we're so susceptible to be influenced to what's around us. And, right. you know, that's something that I, I've worked really active at myself and that I try to share with clients is like, you have to be picky at what you choose to let in your life whether it's what you're watching, what you're listening to, what you're putting in your body, the people you're around, um, those set, th those influence you, whether you realize it or not. And, um, you know, if you really want to build who you are, 
you have to be honest with yourself and you have to have the right environment for yourself. Um, so going back to those small daily habits, that's where I, I try to really um, live that truth with myself is if I'm promoting something to my clients, it's coming from what I know and what I do, not what I've caught like that, you know, oh, that seems like to be the buzzword today or that's right. like the popular yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a really important thing out of what you just said is, is being mindful of, which is a buzzword in and of itself, right? Yeah. Uh, of what you consume, whether it's uh, visually or the environment you're in or food or, you know, spiritual consumption of things. And I think Instagram or social media is a, a good thing of that nature, because even if you are pretty uh, locked into your own way of doing things, sometimes you do see something in there and it sparks this other, you know, idea of consuming and you have to pay attention to it. I mean, I can't tell you how many accounts I've seen of people doing yoga in Dubai on the beach in the middle of winter in Massachusetts. And I, I think to myself, what am I doing wrong that I'm not in Dubai doing yoga? But then I have to counter that and say, that's not, that's not what's sustainable for me. Maybe a yeah. vacation, maybe a vacation, but, but not necessarily, yeah. you know. Um, it's it's interesting too, you know, when, uh, cause I, I am a science educator and when you look at the science behind what Instagram does, it does this visual um, endorphin release. Mm -hmm. So people are always trying to post the, the best pictures because that's what catches our eyes. And our brains now are wired to like get this dopamine release from a really visually beautiful thing. And as it is, it makes a, sense to our biological needs because you know babies for example their studies have shown that babies will uh gravitate looking at something more beautiful so if they have a, a person they're looking at they do look and like to stare at a more beautiful person um but with ourselves like we've gotten caught off guard about what is beautiful and like like right. you said it's like you get this picture and then you ask yourself what are you doing wrong and the same thing for people uh posting the really awesome pictures of themselves is it kind of makes you feel like crap. Cause you're like, I don't have skin like that. But right. the dangerous thing is there's so many nice filters out there, which I recently just discovered. I did yeah. not know that you could alter your body shape or you can make your skin look beautiful or your teeth whiter. I wasn't aware of that until recently. And I, was I like, know it's crazy. Wait a minute. That's why I like these people just seem so visually pleasing to us. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it can be dangerous the the Instagram visual stuff, but well, yeah, I mean, I mean, even even not just that specific, but just the tonal shifts in you know light and brightness and uh, contrast can take a regular picture where you may look pretty strong, but then give you more definition just based on how the light interacts with it, and so it's it's really misleading what you see and. You know, we could get into more about deep fakes and things of where we're heading towards and, and this idea of uh, what's real and what's not real. But um, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about your businesses and, and, and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, I'm a longtime wrestler. I wrestled actually with Andre uh, oh, cool. in high school, um, I, but I've been wrestling since fifth grade. You know, I come from a long line of wrestlers uh, after college i did do brazilian jiu-jitsu for a small period of time um 
I had no money, so I didn't really stick with it, but yeah. I miss it because I, I think it's, it's one of the more intriguing martial arts out there because I liken it to, I mean, I think all martial arts is kind of like chess, but specifically Brazilian jiu-jitsu has always been likened for me to this idea of, you know, real chess-like movements and really paying attention to what's going on and, you know, not it can be fast paced, but it can also be really cerebral and like, okay, this didn't work. How do I navigate around this and, and try to go in there? So I know you said uh, it found you, but how did that kind of come up for you? Well, um, well I want to say too, you're right. Cause Brazilian jiu-jitsu, we call it human chess. Every action has a reaction. Um, and when you get really advanced in it, you know, it, it's a game of, it is a very cerebral experience and uh technique because you can promote a reaction by knowing how like you have to be a couple steps ahead mm-hmm. and um you can promote certain reactions by stimulating certain movements and then you catch them because oh i know they're gonna place their hand here if i do this and then i'm mm-hmm. gonna have this nice move to counter that um but how brazilian jiu-jitsu found me I was looking for a martial art. I had no idea what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was. I just knew I was like, well, martial arts are about body movements. And um, I definitely want to learn something, you know, so I, if I ever get caught off and attacked, I'm going to have something better than just laying still and accepting a beating. So I was uh, road tripping in California. And uh Actually, I was eating dinner one night and a, a guy came up to me and was like, I, I actually have to tell you, you're just so beautiful. I had to come say hello. And I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, let's talk. And then um, we were talking and oh, through just what's going on in our lives. And he told me this martial art he does, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've never heard of it. And I was like, tell me about martial this martial art. And he explained how it's a strategy used that a lighter person through technique can outpower a bigger person. That's how it was. That was the big basis of why jujitsu was so effective was because a lighter person could be a larger opponent. And I was like, wow, as a woman who was beaten up by a larger guy, I was like, that's exactly what I was looking for. Like I had no idea that that existed or that could happen. I was, you know, thinking when you think of a martial art, the first thing is karate or something. Yeah. But um, I just knew I was like, I knew I wanted to do a martial art to learn how to how, know how to move my body. And uh, when he explained the techniques of jujitsu, I, um, after that road trip, I came back to Massachusetts, Googled Brazilian jujitsu and signed up at the school closest to me. Um, so I started training it out here in Massachusetts and, uh, you know, I, through the commitment of myself to it, I slowly shed bad habits. Cause to be honest, when I first started jujitsu and now I'm a big health person Yeah. and I don't mean that as in like, like we said, trying to get the latest trend. It's, it's really, it's a science because I study the science of health. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it's a lifestyle choice, but to tell you the truth, when I first started jujitsu, I was smoking cigarettes on my way to train. That's, that was the state of my health at the time. Right. At this moment, I would never, ever touch cigarettes ever again. They are not my thing. They turn me off, the actual smell of them. So that's where I was at when I first started. 
Um, I was super skinny. I had, uh, I broke two ribs when I first started and it was only because um, I thought it, you know, I had a different mindset when I first started. I thought it was a fighting action. Right. It was about winning. So I, I was too aggressive when I first started. Um, so I definitely, I built muscle through time. I shed bad habits and it was a natural phenomena of getting to the point where I was training every day, all day. And at my peak of Brazilian jiu-jitsu out in Los Angeles, training with Cobrinha, who's considered one of the best in the world, I was training six to seven days a week, six to eight hours a day. And at that level, that's where I, I came from. I started smoking cigarettes on my way to class. And the first school, they, uh, they said, oh, Caroline, the last one to come and the first to leave, because it was hard for me to get into it. I was the only girl at the academy um you know you have to train with rough guys you i was small i was out of shape i was you know not healthy and then um it built to that level of training every day being one of the best trainers at cobrini's academy devoting myself entirely to it leaving my job because of it um i competed once a month at least for a long time a couple of years and just totally sunk myself into it that that story is so good. First, let me share a little tidbit. I remember doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I walked in because I had years of wrestling and, it, you know, in my head, I was like, okay, I, I'll, I'll be able to acclimate. And some of it corresponded nicely. And some of it was completely different, especially never being in a gi before or, or anything like that. And I remember there was a period, I, I believe I was 25 at the time where I got choked out by a 16 year old. And for me, it was the epitome of kind of what you're talking about, because I walked in there and it was very humbling. You know, I found out later that this 16 year old has been rolling since he was three. And so it kind of made more sense to me. But in that moment, it was like this crisis of faith. It's like, what am I doing? And then I had to rebalance that concept. And from that, the great growth came and the same kind of thing. I didn't I went in feeling like I had to be more aggressive to show, oh, you know, I can handle this. And in reality, it wasn't about that whatsoever. And I really like what you were saying, too, is that your health journey kind of came from this concept of sinking into this idea and not necessarily, oh, I have to be fitter just to look good or to put muscle on it, it was directly related to a skill building thing that you were, were pursuing. You know, if you're training six days a week, six to eight hours a day, you're not going to waste time on things. That's not generative for your health. Um, exactly. You're going to prioritize what's going to get you to where you want to be. And I think that's, what's missing from a lot of fitness, um, you know, wellness yeah. training out there. Cause it's like, we were going back to so much fitness now, nowadays is about that visual pleasing aesthetic where it's yeah of course we all want to look good but it has to be functional right and um also going into something is uh i actually just wrote a post about this and a couple of people like wrote to me to thank me for it was when we talk about a consumer society we live in and that we have so much marketing around fitness and health and I, I really try to educate because I do nutrition programs for clients and it comes a lot within this is like, don't get caught on the buzzwords or the labels because they're always trying to sell you something. Mm. And as an athlete, when I was training six to eight hours a day, you know, I'm training with mostly men 
jujitsu is a full contact sport and it is a hundred percent. There's no like cheating or rest in it. You have to go. Mm-hmm. And I, that amount of training, I never took supplements, never took shakes, never did the powders or whatever, obviously did not do steroids, but um, people would ask me all the time because I would go to jujitsu training early in the morning. I'd be the first one at the academy and, and I would train and drill before class for hours. Then I would take the class, which was over two hours. And then after that, I would do, uh, I would go do capoeira because that's the other martial art I do. Or I'd go to the park and play basketball, like do whatever. And even on Sundays, which was my rest day, I would either be doing jujitsu, capoeira or hot yoga or all of them. So people would ask, what do you take for supplements, you know, to have this like consistent energy? Because I was true at it. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't fake anything and I never, ever took supplements. And it was only because I knew how to eat well. And then you sleep and you know, my spiritual life is extremely important to me too. That's where I get energy. Yeah. Um, so like all those things, like everything matters, everything's connected. And we have this idea today that we need this powder. We need this shake. And I'm also going to say too, I am 80% vegan. Um, I do eat meat, clean meat. I don't eat red meat or pork. Um, but it's this, uh, you know, knowing the science of your body, knowing the science of nutrition, it's so basic, our nutritional health needs, but we always have this concept that we need to go buy something to be healthy. We need to buy something to be able to train all day. Or like, you know, I see people that like train like a couple of days a week and they, they have this idea, they need to take protein powders or shakes and supplements. And, you know, I'm not looking down at anyone, but it's like, you think that training is going to require that kind of protein? Like I'm a woman and I did this most extreme training and I never had to take it. And, you know, I was successful at competing too. So that speaks a testimonial and right. the amount I trained, it's like, yeah, I was tired, but it's, uh, there was nothing I had to buy to get to that level. It was all within my daily practices. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I had this conversation with someone at one point, I can't remember who it was, but we were either going for a run or exercising and you know, they're like, aren't, aren't you going to have any pre-workout? <laughs> and in my mind, I'm eating an apple and have a green tea. And was, yeah. this is my pre-workout, you know, it, it's enough to kind of energize me to kind of have energy and, you know, the work kind of energizes you through it, you know? Yeah. Um, I've never been in the middle of a uh, running or exercising. I do a lot of calisthenics and I've never really felt the dip in energy. I've definitely felt, oh, okay, maybe I'm a little sore. Maybe I'm pushing it too far, but I've always had the, this tenacity to kind of complete what, what I'm doing. And it's from that act of deciding to do it and doing it in the right way. So I agree with you. I I was actually going to bring that post up because I think that's really important to look at food as medicine and really pay attention to what we can get from that to alleviate some of the, the things that are going on for us. And I do agree nutritionalism is this big thing in our society where you talk to people in other countries and they have a little bit of it, but not as much of, you know, um, I think Michael Pollan said, you know, if you want to see the state of nutritionalism in the United States, just go down the cereal aisle and look at the buzzwords on the boxes. Totally. 
And it's like, oh, okay, gluten free is the thing, or you know, all, all this other stuff, protein or whatever. You know, it's all on those cereal boxes, and it'll give you a good sense of what's being prioritized. It's entirely, uh, it's it's sad actually that I I look at, especially because I love America. I think we have the best country in the world, but we're a consumer society, and mm -hmm. Americans consume and waste the most out of all the other countries. And it's because we're so driven by this marketing all around us that people think they need to buy things and they go buy labels. Um, I actually, I'm going to be doing a post soon because my sister recently bought crackers that she thought she was buying healthy crackers because they were low fat. Mm -hmm. So I, I showed her why low fat is not good. I was like, you're paying attention to these labels, but like, let's look at the ingredients. What right. is that replaced with? It's sugar. And if you look at and understand what causes obesity in America, it's high sugar and carb diets. Right. Um, it's not fat content. So there's so much misconceptions because we have been trained to pay attention to these health buzzwords. And, uh, you know, I was a teacher in uh, poverty stricken Los Angeles. Uh, I took a huge pay cut to go work in inner city. And that was one of the drives why I became a science teacher was I originally was going to go to nurse practitioning school and I, cause my big thing is naturopathic health and right. focusing on nutrition as your health. And I realized that if you go into the medical field, you're only getting people after the fact because people seek doctors when they're sick. Right. So I thought, how do I reach, like make a bigger impact? And I was like, you go to the high schools where they're learning all this and you can access the youth to teach them nutrition and health. So that was my big thing as a, I taught anatomy and physiology, biology, and I also started yoga programs in the LA school districts. Um, and I taught yoga there, but that was like the big drive of why I wanted to do science um, in high schools was to teach nutrition as the way to health. And not just nutrition, of course, but just the awareness of life and how amazing it is, but how simple it is to just be healthy and happy. So. I love that. I love all that, <laughs> that yeah. integrative approach to this because it's needed. You know, uh, I'm a mental health counselor and I think the biggest thing that I enjoy doing in, in sessions is, is talking about all these things and how they interact, how, how the food choices you consume interact with your mental health and how it affects the microbiome and how there's all this relation to, to again, going back to that idea of consumption whatever we choose to consume has input in how we are, how we act, how we feel. And, you know, some, some adolescents look at me and say, I'm not giving up my mozzarella sticks. And, you know, I say to them oh, in moderation, it's okay, but just like pay attention to what you're eating and how you feel after you eat. And is that conducive to your helping your anxiety as opposed to spiking your anxiety based on what you're consuming. Right. Um, you know, if you eat oatmeal, that that's a great precursor for GABA production, which helps with anxiety, right? So oatmeal is a fantastic thing to consume um, if you're feeling a little over anxious and as opposed to drinking Red Bull or Monsters <laughs> or sk skipping lunch in general and just saying, oh, I'll have this. It will give me energy. I don't need that. Yeah. Um, so I do think, you know, a lot of our nonprofit is putting together programs to target younger um, 
adolescence and have those conversations about it because I, you know, from my own personal experience and the very first podcast we did, I did with my younger sister, we talked a lot about that and, and our own failings on nutrition when we were younger and not understanding anything about it. Right. I had an emotional overeating disorder. So I would eat three slices of pizza on a Friday night. And then when people weren't paying attention, I'd take like three more and go into the basement and consume them because it made me feel good. Then I felt terrible. And it was like this cyclical relationship and not understanding how that was perpetuating. Instead, it, it felt like a control. And so I think that's fantastic that you were able to do that and then grow from there, right? You weren't just stagnant in that you chose to you know, leave a, a pretty steady job, it seems like that that had future potential to make your own businesses and move forward. And, you know, just looking through your website, doing nutritional programming for Mike Tyson and Tony Robbins, that, yeah. those are nice feathers in your cap for sure. You know, that was, you know, the, I'm going to say something about the Mike Tyson thing is uh, I uh, his CEO, came into my cafe. I had a health food cafe and catering company. Well, at the time it wasn't catering. I've never catered before. I didn't go to school for business. Uh, so he, his CEO comes in and he really likes the food. And so when he came in the second time and I knew he worked with Mike Tyson and his company, I said, Hey, I would really like, uh, for free. I want to cater, um, for your company. And he was like, well, uh, no, we don't want it for free. We're going to pay you send us a menu. And I'm like, okay. Um, I don't <laughs> this know is working do better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was like, yeah, it's great. But then I'm like, I just offered to do something. I have no idea how to do. I've, I don't know what a catering menu looks like. You know, I'm a science teacher, jujitsu athlete, and I have this business. So I was like, okay, give me a week and I will send you a catering menu. And, uh, the same way I made the menu for the cafe, I did my research I, I did a lot of research, did tests and everything. And then in a week I designed a catering menu, sent it to them. And I ended up getting a full contract every day working with Mike Tyson as he did, because, you know, he's in fighting shape now. And at, when I first started working with him, he was overweight. He was out of shape. Mm-hmm. He was eating meat. Then he did this whole nutritional um, cleansing diet and, uh, I, from like, you know, you have to, you have to really get to know same when I do my nutrition programs for my clients now, as I have to get to know them in yeah. order to do the program, you know, you want to respect their lifestyle. here, here's whatever it works exactly. for everyone. You have to understand what, what functions well for that, that person. What functions well, exactly. And, uh, that's how, you know, so I was a part of his process and becoming a fighter again. And that it was amazing. Like that was, and that company, unfortunately with COVID had to get shut down. It was a new business. It was only two years old, a little over two years old, COVID happens. And it's like, there, you, I lost tons of, you know, the three-year salary. Uh, it was a hard hit, but you know, again, it's like, you can't play victim. You can't like, I just like, I couldn't play victim with getting like beat up by a guy. It's like, you have to figure out how to use that to move on to become better because if you sit around feeling sorry for yourself you're losing out because life is awesome and if you really take on your failures as lessons to be better and be grateful for the experience as well whether it was good or bad uh you that that's like a quality i really appreciate about myself is that like don't feel bad for yourself just figure out how to move on and the 
the weakest step forward is stronger than the fiercest storm. Like yeah. that mentality just gets you through. I, after I left LA, I lived in a house. I was living in a cottage house on the beach. I had three different keys, rents do, you know, two business rents, my house rent. I ended up going down to just my set of car keys, gave away or sold my things, put my life in a car. And for seven weeks, I lived in a tent traveling around the country. And that quote I just gave you is from one of the books that I bought in South Dakota called Keep Going. It was from Crazy Horse, mm -hmm. uh, the most amazing Native American cultural experience that is alive today in the United States um, that has the most promise to preserve their culture, what is left of it. Right. Um, and it was that book called Keep Going. And uh, That's awesome. yeah, th this was an awesome book because at the time, you know, I had to come to peace with what my life was um, and that living in a tent really helped. <laughs> I mean, my dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so a cool thing about what you're saying is, and, and I think I'm, I'm sure my listeners have heard this a million times, but I'm a big proponent of, uh, you know, this idea of um, not giving into toxic positivity, but really looking at the situation and, and paying attention to say, okay, there's not always positive and negative, but there's definitely something that's generative inside any situation you're in. And so instead of looking for the rainbows and butterflies, you have to really look at what is the generative option that I have here to kind of move forward and kind of go forward. And it takes away the pressure of saying, oh, I have to be positive. And like, no, I just have to be generative for me. And I just have to pursue that. And I, there's so much strength and empowerment in that, that I think is missed when we talk about positivity and negativity. Um, yeah. I, I like that positive, toxic positivity. Um, mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. I mean, I, I haven't heard of that one yet, but I understand what it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I made it up, but I like talking about it for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'll pretend like I made it up if you want to attribute it to me. I mean, it's the first time I'm hearing it. So you're, you're <laughs> the keeper of this information for me. Well, that's good. Um, so, in, and I think there's something that connects directly to like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu too, is is finding and persevering and find, waiting things out and seeing what how you can open up opportunities for you instead of just waiting for something to happen. Because like you're saying, like there are those moments where, the, your opponent or the person you're rolling with opens something up and you seize that, but more often than not, you have to set it up so that it happens. Totally. Uh, my clients that I teach as, as you teach, you, you learn deeper too. That's the amazing part is, yeah. uh, and that is exactly what I teach is like, you have to let go and you go with the flow. It doesn't mean that you don't have a direction or you don't have control. But if you try to like force this exact result to happen in the path that you are trajecting, you're missing out on what is happening in life. And when we bring it to jujitsu, it's like your opponent is might be blocking that path. And if you just keep meeting that resistance with like, I'm trying to push and they're resistant back. And if you keep pushing, you're just going hammering into a wall. So there's this concept of like, going like letting the flow happen and seeing and being aware of when you have an opportunity to go so although like you want to go this certain direction it's not that you lose 
having that goal, but if the way you are going to get it, isn't the way that you're planning and that it's such a life jujitsu has such a strong connection with that is it's not that you lose control by letting it go, but you have to let it flow in order to really be a, you know, not be so tunnel vision of how it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's actually true control, right? That analogy you're talking about going with the flow instead of fighting a current, we feel like, oh, my control is I have to fight against this current to get to where I need to be when it, and that's a fake control because it's not surmountable. Like you can't overcome certain things, but real control is saying, I do have a choice here. And my choice is to sit and wait and, and pay attention and be open. And then, then I'll be able to get. So like the difference between attachment and passion is that ability to find that true sense of control and, and sit with it until the opportunity presents itself. So, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your current um, business, CC fit and wellness. Okay. Yeah, that is a, I started that out in Los Angeles. Um, I, while I was, uh, running the health food, I uh, started Green Tree Cafe and health food. So that was a health food cafe and catering company. Um, I was doing self-defense. Uh, I started a self-defense program because I was approached by a jiu-jitsu school to start teaching. And I was like, you know what? I actually have this like woman's program I want to start. So I was doing that program. And then uh, students within the class approached me to start personal training. And I was like, well, I've never done that before, but sure, let's do it. Like I know enough, my whole life has been athletics. So, um, and I know anatomy and physiology, like I was confident I could do it. So I started taking on clients and then I, I, uh, started, and then I hosted like a free woman's, uh, training at a park. And from there I got more clients. And then all of a sudden I had a full load of clients right before COVID hit and, um, COVID hit, I lost all the clients. So, um, restarted it. That's when I started doing virtual when COVID happened. And then, um, when I came back here after my road trip across the country, I still kept, uh, two of my virtual clients, uh, cause some of them didn't want to train virtually. They just wanted to do in person. And obviously I'm not there. Um, and then here back in Massachusetts, it's amazing how quickly, you know, I've been, I haven't even been home for four months now back here and I have a full load of clients. I'm doing um, kids martial art training. I do adult fitness, body strengthening and toning. And then I have self-defense clients and jujitsu clients. Um, and then I'm not so Oh, I also have a pregnant, I do a fit pregnancy program. I, so I have two clients that are pregnant. Um, so I am not promoting too much the nutrition program. Cause that is something I build that takes a long time to do, but it is still there. But so that's what I've been working on. My main business project now is building the website. I'm doing virtual training clients, still the potential to do the nutrition programs. Um, and then I actually was doing them as I was traveling across country. I, I was taking nutrition clients because I would do virtual meetings with them. And yeah. then, give, you know, I had my computer with me. So I'd figure out like where I could get Wi-Fi and um, work on their nutrition programs. But um, now it's been mostly in person, but the new client load I have is only virtual and building 
the business now with, uh, you know, it's a wellness aspect too with, cause I do the mental coaching within right. it and yeah. all my clients, you know, even the kids, you know, you do it with them, but uh, especially like the warrior woman project that I have going on. It's part of that project is I do um, training, virtual training with them. And then I do a, a basic nutrition plan as part of that, depending on what their lifestyle needs are and uh, what their goals are for their body. And then I do uh, the mental confidence coaching. So that's the, the new really big project I'm working on. It's the warrior woman tribe and uh, it's building bodies and confidence because you know, you're going back to that part of being going with the flow and having control Well, the whole part of that too, is you need confidence in order to do it. Yeah. I think like what the world needs right now more than ever is confidence. Like I see so many people, you know, they, they want to be justified. They want to be heard. They want to be understood. They want the world to understand them, but it's like, Hey, I don't even understand myself. Right but I do have confidence in what I'm doing. And I think if more people were confident in themselves, they would have less need to have the world understand them and just do what they need to do. And going back to the beginning of the episode was that to be true to who you are, you need confidence. Yeah. And um, it, it comes from hard work. It doesn't come from this fake it, make it mentality. I actually, I don't like that. Like, I, I heard Oh God, I hate it too. Oh man, I, I heard it from <laughs> jujitsu. I've heard it from coaching, from fitness things. It's oh, fake it till you make it. I'm like, I don't do that. I don't fake anything. I, and I despise coaching people in that way because through hard work is where you get everything. It's where you get your health. It's where you get discipline. It's where you get the body you want. It's getting like the, you know, everyone wants to look good and feel good. It comes from discipline through hard work and you get confidence through that. So I'm not trying to fake anything or promote that. I will never say that to my clients because it's like, no, we're not faking anything here. Like let's pay attention to your daily habits. Let's be true to what you do and who you are and be confident in that. Because I think it also perpetuates this idea of, okay, uh, not being truthful to yourself. And if you even a small thing say, yeah, you, you know, I, I exercised for 50 minutes and you only did 42, you're actually cheating yourself. And it, it yes. kind of doesn't teach you that what you're trying to do. I also think, you know, just in general, that confidence is really important because when you get that or when you establish that in whatever aspect you do, you don't have to respond to these um triggers or you don't have to respond to hate like certain hate or certain uh, tests that people who aren't confident really put out there in relationships. I think my favorite, my hands down favorite uh, clip that I've seen related to this is uh, I think it involves Matt Sarah and, you know, I think he was in a restaurant and some drunken guy tried to pick a fight with him and you know, he took him down and, you know, was just, you know, playing, like controlling him, not being aggressive, just telling the guy to calm down, to relax. And the guy's swearing and trying to hit him. And he's just, you know, he has that confidence that this guy's not going to get through his guard or hurt him because he knows what he can do. And he doesn't have to show that he can just kind of restrain and say, come on, man, like everyone's trying to relax. And I think that's a really good visual to think about when when you talk about this is if you find that confidence 
that reactive kind of, oh, I need to emotional reaction um, yeah. is decreased. And you can kind of take, take steps to say, okay, what, what can I do here? And how can I stay true to myself in my truth instead of just emotionally reacting and kind of feeling yeah. guilt from whatever happens. And you're right too. You know, you're talking about all the hate, like right now there's, I don't know, maybe it's, it's always been around. There's hate for individuals, for groups, races. There's so much hate going on, sexual orientations or, you know, their gender identifications. But if more people were just confident in what they were and who they are, you know, you people are going to hate no matter what. Right. Like that's something like I truly believe. And even in myself, every time I was mistreated, it's like, well, who do I think I am? Like there, there's been people that they've been awesome. They've been so great. They've been leaders of love and peace and they've been hated. So when you start talking truth, like people aren't going to like it. So no. just got to be confident in who you are and what you're doing. And the hate stuff is going to bother you less. Well, even, yeah. I mean, even like when you think about the people spewing hate that comes from their own fragility and lack of confidence. Exactly. Right? I mean, I don't know anyone who's been a bully who hasn't come to that stage of hate from lack of self, right? Exactly. Lack of self-confidence. And I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily uh, as a society make it go away, but as individuals and in interacting you know, it, it kind of gives you a, a sense of say, saying, oh, I don't need to value their perspective because I know it doesn't affect my confidence in who I am. Exactly. And choosing your battles in life, because if you play and take time to battle everyone, you're not growing as well as you should. You right. know, people are always going to try to stop you from what you're doing. People are going to give you problems. People are going to have a problem with what you do. But if you respond to all of it, you're wasting your time. Instead yeah. of focusing on growth and your next step and whatever your goal is, is like some people just aren't worth your time. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really important thing to understand too, is where can you help educate and, and call people in and help people grow? And then where is, where is it not even a feasible time to, and not engage in them because they're, they're kind of doing that reaffirming by having you engage with them and it kind of exactly. strengthens their situation obviously calling it out is important and i think everyone yeah, yeah. should do that but feeding into that trolling uh, so to speak is, is feeding that troll you know exactly all right so i have two questions that i always finish the podcast with i'm gonna ask you them okay. and then i'm just gonna give you a couple minutes to just speak freely on dropping any gems of knowledge you want to drop on the listeners at the end uh, but so I'm a huge geek. And so my questions are always, if you could have any superpower, what would that be? And then oh. what do you think your superpower is in real life? All right. So can you explain, like, are, are there like types of superpowers you can give me an example? Of? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I don't... <laughs> so, um, so what I mean by that is, is this idea of like, let's imagine that we're in a world where superpowers like the Avengers or, yeah. you know, Superman exists. So things like invisibility or flight or uh, mind reading or super strength or, you know, Green Lantern's power of uh, having constructs being able to be made to adjust the environment, things of that nature. 
Oh yeah. Cause you know, I grew up without a TV, so I missed out on all the <laughs> stuff. So I'm like, I, my friends like bring it up and I'm like, I don't know references to this. I just, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Um, so superpowers, um, I definitely don't care to read minds, you know, because yeah. people are confusing as hell. So yeah. I'm like, I don't need to read other people's minds. Um, uh, you know, if there's a superpower to just let love more into people's hearts, mm. love and truth, I, I would do that because we're so blinded, you know, as we talked about throughout this episode is like, how misguided so many people are and it's sad because it's uh we all have troubles and struggles in life and what I find continuously in jujitsu journeys and my health journey and fitness and business it, it's really back to the basics with everything so I if I had a superpower I would cleanse people of bad habits bad thoughts and untruth there you go um, you know let more love into their hearts and, and the light of the truth. That would be my superpower. Nice. And what would you say your actual real life personality trait superpower would be? I feel like it's kind of similar, right? Like that's kind of yeah. your, your mission. In, I think in it's, yeah, I think it's the truth that I see. Um, you know, I've worked with homeless people for over a decade and I've seen the work that I've done with them. It's nothing crazy. It's been the littlest things that I've done to make a difference in their lives, like helping them make their bed, helping the girls put on makeup, helping them when they were withdrawing from drugs, drawing them a bath and, uh, you know, on Christmas, doing celebrations with them, doing barbecues with them. Cause I worked in transitional homes, um, okay. given the dad's father's day cards on It's like those, basic acts of love right and same thing you know with how I approach I always took for granted I thought everyone knew this knowledge about nutrition I took care of my grandfather who had multiple strokes diabetes for four years before going to grad school so in between college I with along with my aunt we got him off so many medications through through nutritional changes and exercise right I got him to this place of not being needed uh, on meds and he had high diabetes like I said small vessels disease strokes high blood pressure he had a uh, left side paralysis because of strokes so it was it was a basic simple understanding I had of nutrition I was like well duh we do these changes and he's gonna get better right and that's how I was as an athlete well like it's obvious to me that these are the changes you need to be healthy so I think that's I don't know what kind of superpower that might be, but just seeing the truth in life and it's helped guide me. And it's not to say that I'm happy all the time. I suffer my battles with, uh, you know, I have dark times, I have dark places. And obviously my life in the last year, it's like, I lost two big businesses. I, you know, I'm saddled with college debt. I, I had business debt. Like I had a move out of LA, start my life over, start my business over. So like I suffer my battles as well, but it's knowing that I just have to keep going. It's like these basic formulas and, uh, and going back to what you talk to your, you know, your count clients about is I know when life is hard for me, that's when I have to give up sugar, give up wheat. 
I really don't drink, but it's like, I abstain from those triggers that are going to be bad for my mental health. Mm. So my super ha- powers are just very basic. Yeah, but they, they're fantastic. I mean, look at that conversation we were talking about with fat versus sugar and that idea of, I can't tell you how many people I know who will drink low fat milk and will, um, you know, have low fat butter or cheeses and then, you know, have pie for lunch or donuts, like multiple donuts in a day or cookies, uh, you know, these things, which in moderation are completely fine, but as, as a constant going, but saying, Oh, I can't have full fat milk because of this or whatever the situation is, is there's an imbalance there. And that's a simple nutritional kind of correlation you can work on with them, but it's missing from a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a basic superpower woman. Well, it's like making things digestible, right? So it's a a pun too, right? Because you do nutrition. So digestibility, I guess, would be your your superpower. I like that. I like that. It's a good one. Um, So any last words of wisdom for the listeners out there? You You know, I'm going to... Yeah, talking about basics. um, So one thing I taught my students every year in anatomy and physiology... um, it's called the power nine rules. And uh, this guy named Dan Buettner went around and he studied centenarians and centenarians are people that live over a hundred. So there's like common pockets around the world that have these high incidences of people that live over a hundred. So he spent years studying these groups to understand what they're like, what their basics were that maybe were the habits that led them to longevity. And by the way, too, these pockets too, it's not like they're a hundred plus living in nursing homes. They're like functioning because when you go into a nursing home, your life is over. You know, that's the sad truth is you're pumped on meds and whatever. It's like, you're not living. So these are like people that are actually living. Um, And it's amazing because it's power nine rules. I don't know. I can't say all nine of them, but they were so basic. And it's something in American society, I think we're, we're missing is like, having a tribe, having like a group, you know, your family tribe is so important. Like, you know, sitting down at the dinner table every night or trying to and have dinner with like your tribe, um, being uh, 80% full, you know, not eating until you're so full, you can't move, but like knowing when to stop at 80%. Um, another thing he talked about was having like a meaning and purpose in life. Right. Then translates to like, you know, being spiritually or religious sound, you know, that's another thing that we're missing in our culture because it's, uh, you know, we're so offended by certain practices, but, you know, I'm religious and I'm not offended by anyone that's not my religion. In fact, I've gone and celebrated all types of religious ceremonies with people because I think it's awesome. I love learning. And it's it's so related. All yeah, of them are it's, related. it's fantastic. One of my favorite memories is I went down south to do some humanity work and, and help out in Mississippi uh, right after Katrina. And we went to a couple Baptist revivals and it was one of the most interesting situations I've ever been in. And, you know, tambourines coming out and like just really feeling in awesome. the moment and feeling the music. And I remember it fondly because of, you know, that connection. It's so powerful. I've never done the Baptist that's been on my list. Uh, Southern Baptist. I haven't Mm -hmm. gone. I've gone to Baptist out in California. I've had all types of friends of all races invite me to their religious ceremonies. And it's 
you feel the power. And I've cried at all different types. And it's never offended my religion. And I don't, I'm like, that's not wrong to go celebrate with someone else. It's right. you're still celebrating God or higher power in it. And it's beautiful. It's so moving. And the Southern Baptists are so like, I've only seen uh, through videos, but it's, it's, I can imagine what you felt being in there because they're so powerful and we need that. We need to believe in something greater than ourselves. And right. That's something Tony Robbins talked about, you know, when I met him is like you had like him and Mike Tyson were talking is like you have to have this belief in a higher good that you're working towards to have that purpose. And I think we need that in our lives is, you know, something more than ourselves, more than this life to like work towards. Um, so I guess that's what I want to end on is just look up the power nine rules and, uh, you know, bring purpose and meaning to your life and have your tribe have your meaning in life um, and be true to who you are because that's like the best version that you're ever going to be and be confident in that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I, I just feel blessed to have you and, and to talk and, you know, have this uh, dialogue. And I think it will really resonate with a lot of people. So I appreciate you and I appreciate all that you do. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for your work you do. Um, thank you for having me. It is awesome to see people like you promoting this. So let's keep on living the good life. Let's go. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepermetheanproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen, and remember that the most important step is always the next one.